What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Guys, real quick before we begin, I want to quickly tell you about my new coaching program, Elite Property Foundations. It's officially launched as of the 1st of June, and it is now alive and kicking with members. If you are a novice property investor or you would like to be a property investor, this is the program for you. I guarantee it's going to take you from feeling nervous about what you're doing to being both highly knowledgeable and confident in your decisions. There's a load of features and benefits, so you should definitely check it out. I'm gonna leave a link in the show notes below. That's all, I hope to see you inside. Now let's get on with the show. What's up guys, welcome back to another episode. And this week, even though I'm still in the middle of moving house, and uh, it's some job I can tell you, it's one of the reasons why today's podcast is a little bit delayed in going out. It's just there's so much work moving house. But no excuses, I have a guest for you to listen to this week. This week I've had a conversation with Miss Mary Conway. Now, Mary has just come straight from the speaking stage of my recent property investment event, and she has got over 27 years of experience in the Irish property investment market. She is a nurse by training, but in 2015 she transitioned over into full-time real estate uh, investment uh, agent management uh, she does a lot of different things she is uh, and she does all of that through her company janice estates and i'm going to put links and stuff in the show notes she's also the chairperson of the irish property owners association and so those of you who listen to the irish uh, news stations like rte and stuff you'll probably recognize her voice as the spokesperson and she's done a lot of media appearances on RTE and things like that. So in this episode, we're gonna be jumping into her background and we've also gonna be talking about her rapid rise as an investor. She, ended, she went from zero to 16 properties over the space of about 10 years. And, uh, and we're gonna talk about her transition to full-time real estate agent and how she went about doing that. We're also gonna cover her outlook on the market and some of the many, many challenges that are facing property investors in the Irish market at the moment. And oh yes, I also should mention, she is also a senior move management specialist. Uh, and that is, for those of you not aware, it's for somebody who helps older people in their downsizing from you know, a big, large home into something much, much smaller. It, if, if my experience here moving house is anything to go by, it is a stressful and it's a lot of work. And so having somebody to manage that is, I think it's probably a good market to be in. And so um, we're gonna talk a little bit about that. So guys, without further ado, my conversation with Mary Conway. Mary Conway, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gavin. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome, Mary. And you are guest number two to be physically in my office here, Own Riley being the first one. Uh, so it's great to have you here in person and we're going to have a great conversation today about Irish property in particular. 
And uh, that is because you're an Irish agent and you're based here in Dublin, like myself. And so we're going to have a good old conversation on that. For anyone who is listening in from abroad, and as I've been looking at my statistics coming in on the podcast, we have people listening in from Saudi Arabia. We have people listening in from Slovenia. We have people listening in like all over the world now. So for those people who might not have heard who Mary Conway, uh, who you are, will you just give us a kind of a brief uh, description of what it is you do? Um, well, I grew up on a farm in Sligo and I came to Dublin at 18 to train as a nurse. Um, I wanted to be a vet, but I didn't get my points to go to college. So I went kicking and screaming into nursing and I did that for very many years. Um, I've worked all over the world. I've worked in Saudi Arabia, I've worked in the UK and worked in almost every hospital in Dublin. And I bought my first investment property about 27 years ago. And it was a three bed terraced house in Drumcondra. And I had a deposit from a life assurance policy that I cashed in. Um, and we paid the deposit, we were about to close the sale and we realized we didn't have any money for furniture. So would we go ahead with it or uh, would we pull out of the deal? And I think the house was around 80,000 at the time, uh, 80 or 80, uh, and that was pounds. Not sure if it was 80,000 or 88,000, but it was a lot of money. So we put an ad, we ran a dummy ad in the evening papers as it was at that stage. It was pre-online marketing and we got a call from a lady to say she was interested in renting the house. And to cut a long story short, it turned out she didn't have any furniture and she needed um, somewhere to store the furniture. So we said, look, would you take the house unfurnished? And she did. And our property journey started there. Um, so within another year, I bought a second house. Um, this one was in Botanic Avenue in Drumcondra. And we catered mainly to the student market uh, around St. Pat's, around DCU. And I did that for many years. Can I just ask, so you were, were you nur- practicing as a nurse whilst you were doing this? Yes. Now, I had taken some time out um, to have my children. I have three children who are now... 30, 28 and 24 and I was out of work with an injury. I had a succession of three accidents um, and I couldn't really work as a nurse so I took some time off. So this is what I did and then I went back to nursing in 2003. Is that related to the life policy that you said Mm. that you were cashed in? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay, Uh, so listen, sorry, I I interrupted your flow there, but you, so you bought two properties in quick succession. Yeah. And so you're just whetting your appetite in the property journey, but you're starting to like it. And I remember somebody saying at the time, buying the first one is the hardest. After that, it gets easy. And it did get quite easy. We're talking about, you know, the boom times, the noughties, um, 1996, 97, 98, and I bought my last investment property in 2008. Ooh, and bought two then, timing. which <laughs> Great was timing. bad timing. So um, at one stage, I had 16 uh, investment properties. I had 90 tenants from 35 different countries. Wow. And I was still working full time as a nurse. So that became a bit of a challenge. That, well, this is going to be interesting because there's a lot of people that are listening in that, uh, you know, they're thinking about going down the road of investing or mm. they are an investor. And they're kind of like, oh, you know, you can't do too many properties. But you had 16. I mean, when did you chuck in the job as a nurse and become kind of full full time? In, in 2015, actually. 
And and you so you had already had sixteen properties and you were nursing at the same now, time. Now my husband at the time he had uh, finished his job in two thousand and four, so he was working full time in property. Okay. And things were different then to how they are now. The Residential Tenancies Board was set up in 2008. So the landscape very much changed for landlords from that point. And my word of advice to anybody that's getting into property, particularly if they have a busy day job, is don't try and do it yourself. Get an agent, spend the bit of money it takes. It's not that much uh, every month and get somebody to manage your properties they know the legislation. They know the changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a different landscape to what it was then. Uh, you know, the analogy that I can use in that regard is is like I'm an architect by training, mm-hmm. but I stopped practicing as an architect about, I don't know, 30 years ago, nearly now, around about the time that I qualified was 97. So do the maths. It's like 25 years ago or something. But I only practiced for about two or three years before I realized that knowing all these regulations and the rules and stuff and like how many millimeters of a step should be in a door opening for fire and all that that's just the minutia that i'm not interested in i'm looking at the deal Mm -hmm. so you hire in the specialist to look after that stuff because they it's their job to know those regulations and that's what you're saying is that yeah and i'm not just saying that because i'm an agent um i've just seen so many mistakes that landlords have made incomplete innocence yeah like when you see the figures coming out for example from threshold and they say about all the illegal um eviction notices that have been issued and that they've been done incorrectly it makes it sound as if all landlords are up to mischief but in all honesty it's probably just a genuine mistake that lack of knowledge it's a lack of knowledge and, and people are afraid to go and ask for help a lot of the time yeah yeah and you mentioned something uh you came in you spoke at my event there last week and you were talking about somebody and you were saying it was something like a fifteen thousand fine that they got hit with and mm. that they had they had to absorb that but it was their mistake mm-hmm. that they had done something that they shouldn't have and this is the kind of thing that we're talking about is that you're a landlord you think you're doing you know you're a reasonable person you're renting to a person but that person might just realize that you know this is actually technically against the law and therefore you can't do it next minute you've found yourself on the wrong side of the rtv absolutely and the legislation has changed so many times like even on friday i went to register some tenancies and i see a whole there's um I don't know if you're familiar with the page. You, you, everything is online now and you have to do an annual registration. And there's a whole new box, yellow box down along the side with end tenancy. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, where did this come out? This it wasn't here last yeah, yeah. week. And I still don't know. I intend to find out, but I don't know. So if I clicked into one of those, would I automatically ter- terminate tenancy? I don't know. It's it's all way too technical. Yeah, it sounds like they just they need to educate people like the people that are using it better well i think what they need to do is they need to look at the legislation 2004 is a long time ago there's been i think 54 modifications in that time and mm. um, i know some of them were forced with covid and things like that but it's just way too complicated i know as a nurse if we were writing any um educational materials for patients with regards to treatments or whatever you're supposed to have it i think at a reading age of nine uh, there's a national literacy guidance, but this is definitely yeah. not at an age of nine. Well, the thing is, is like landlords and tenants, like it's a basic right. And to be able to go out and rent out your house because you don't feel like selling it or something like that. Like say you want to keep a house in the family 
because it was your belonged to your parents or something like that and you decide that I don't want to sell it but I'm not rent living in it so I'll rent it out and you go and you do that and you shouldn't have to go and hire a whole team of people in order to kind of do that you know what I mean but you're saying that there are so many changes on a, such a regular basis that just staying on top of the regulations is proving to be really difficult. And this is particularly different, difficult for older people. I have a lady who rang me today. She has multiple properties. She's in her 80s. And she rang me in a panic because she can't use the, the online system. And she said, oh, I think my tenancies uh, need to be paid for. Now, I had it done from last week because it's all set up anyway. But, like, she is losing sleep at night over this. Worrying She's about. never done anything wrong. But the stress it's causing it, it's just crazy. Mm. Well, anyway, we won't we won't get into a, a RTB bashing session just yet. No, I don't think, <laughs> I, like, I think the RTB are probably doing their best. They are constrained with the legislation mm. and they're understaffed and they need some help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, let's let's continue with your story. You, you went through, so you were growing quite quickly. Up to 16 properties is quite, and were these all, you know, were you able to do this through leveraging the you know you're obviously the debt and things like that is an issue you're, you're you buy a property it's increasing in value you're able to create that little bit of equity you take the equity out buy the next property and you were just kind of going on and on and on like this yeah they were being cross secured so um in hindsight it wasn't the best move and we did try and segregate them out and that's another whole story um but yeah my advice to anybody starting out is get the right advice from the beginning we thought we knew it all we didn't have a tax advisor and we've gone down the wrong way in so many ways and it's challenging mistakes are easy to make when you don't have anyone kind of in your corner that's kind of pointing you in the right direction that's one of the reasons that I started the podcast is because like you know my my story of you know the ups and downs my career and stuff like that you know, I do that mainly because I think a lot of that was unforced errors that just were from a lack of understanding. And if I share my story, then maybe other people out there, they'll hear that and they'll kind of go, geez, I didn't realize that that's that's something that can happen. And I was very uh, reckless when I was, you know, I was 30 years of age, you know, yeah, no, what's the big deal? I borrow another million. Like, what's the worst that can happen? But this stuff lasts for years. Like I was a decade trying to clear myself out of the difficulties that I got into. And I know you've had some difficulties in your past with the debt and things like that as well. Yeah, um, I've had my challenges. Uh, my marriage broke down, the properties were jointly owned um, and then that became difficult to manage as well. And the bank won't take, it's not as if you can say, you take this one and I'll take this one mm. because joint names are on them and the bank won't take a name off them. So that led to challenges as well. So with this, as a result, I've disposed of some of them um, and still disposing. Yeah, yeah. Now, so tell us, in terms of your your career as a nurse, you decided to call an end to that and you decided that let's roll up the sleeves and get involved in the actual property business. Tell us about your decision to do that because it sounds like it's an awful lot of work so explain your rationale yeah, um i suppose it was the summer of 2014 um i was just working incredibly hard we we had challenges from the banks we had receivers there was all kinds of things going on and i was trying to work a, i think it was probably about a 45 hour week in the hospital um i was a bowel cancer specialist so it was fairly intense stuff and I had three young adults that were starting in college. 
And just one day I just thought, I have enough. I just can't deal with calls from tenants and work and giving 50% to everything. I need to give 100% to something. So I decided I would go back and study for my licence and see could I take other people's properties on and work from there. Interesting, yeah. And is it difficult to get a PSRA licence? Well, I went back to Tala at the time and it was every Saturday for two years and um, it was wow. a great experience. I really enjoyed it. It was the IPAF course. I made some lifelong friends that I would talk to on a regular basis. Um, they'll bounce things off me about letting. I'll bounce things off them about um, sales or management. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed my two years. Halfway through, I saw... Um, an article in the New York Times about senior move management and working with older people who are downsizing. Mm. Um, and I thought this would be a really nice thing to do um, with my background in nursing and all the rest. So I went and I joined uh, the National Association of Senior Move Managers in the States and did some training with them. Um, so far, the work hasn't really materialised. I've worked with a few clients, but not as many as I would like because, number one, Irish people want their front door and their back door and their house in between and their back garden. They're more reluctant to downsize. Um, a lot of cases people have rang me and they're in their 80s and I feel at this stage it's probably too old, for want of a better word, to move. I would suggest that people would move in their late 50s, early 60s, mm. where they can become part of a community and join a community and um have the energy to do the move you've just moved house in yeah the last week and it's a lot of work, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah and you're fit and able-bodied um and you've moved to somewhere you want to go but in a lot of cases if you have the big house and you're trying to find something you can't actually find somewhere to downsize well you know i'm actually in the process of doing this for my mom and uh, so she's in the house that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a big kind of five bedroom house that, you know, would, would land around and stuff like that. Way too big for her, but mm -hmm. she's emotionally attached to the mm -hmm. area. She has loads of friends that live on the same road and all this. And so the big challenge for her is she does not want to move into an apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, she She's had, you know, a nice garden where you can walk out your back door. She likes wildlife and stuff, so she feeds the birds and all this. And trying to find a house and the big concern for her is not so much you know downsizing is easy but downsizing into a bungalow is what she wants because she's thinking about going up and down stairs mm -hmm. as you get older like she doesn't want to be you know housebound or having to get nurses and things like that so she's thinking ahead and the problem is, is nowadays you just don't build bungalows anymore yeah. because they're not density you know the density the guidelines don't work for for a city and so she's forced to look for existing bungalows that are on the market. And, uh, and we are, in fact, bidding on one at the moment. But the funny thing is, is that you, you kind of you don't realize that this is a problem until you're actually in it yeah. yourself. And I know there's an awful lot of people out there that are, you know, the age profile of the Irish population, that this is something that's going to face like most of the population, like the majority are going to start to feel that over the next 20 years. So move, so senior move is actually probably your way ahead of the curve. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. I'm too far ahead. Well, you can, you know, what yeah. a pioneer is 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 what we call that. Is when you know the person that you know trailblazes and you're out there and you're crossing 
across America into the Wild West and like you have to fight the Indians and all that. You're, you're paving the path for the people that will follow. You see, we don't really have intra, intra-generational housing. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, even if it was a case of, say, you have a duplex, that the downstairs would be... For an older person. For an older person and upstairs is for a family or whatever. We're still fixated on the three-bed semis um, in suburbia, whereas we need a lot more um, age-friendly housing. And some of the associated housing bodies, like, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Clon. Yeah. They're the over 55s of Clude. They're doing amazing work. I did a, a fabulous job with one gentleman, and he literally came on a Friday evening with his two suitcases of stuff. We had everything done. His blinds were hanging. Oh, his, nice. He yeah. didn't want a cooker. I insisted he had to have a cooker. I'm still waiting to be asked out for dinner. Um, he said, told me he was going to cook me a leg of lamb one of the days. Um, but, you know, he's so happy. He's 60. He's in his forever home. He has everything he wants around him. Nice. He's yeah. on the ground floor. And that's the thing. And so, interesting. So, you, this, is what, this is a service that you can provide. Yes. And um, the biggest challenge for a lot of people is coping with possessions. Yeah, I and, can tell you all yeah, you about know, that right now. So, you know, have you taken your stuff out of the house or is there still some of your stuff in your mother's family home? Uh, I, I, I'm I, pretty kind of, you know, sort of... But I'm sure there's a box there now with your medals the, or your attic, certificates or whatever. Attic, there's probably some stuff all right, yeah. But yeah. no, I did, but I can tell you when I made my first move, when I moved to Spain mm. uh, and I had to clear out my big house, I actually got a skip in... And I filled that skip with junk that was up sitting in the attic for years. And it's one of those things that you just accumulate stuff. And Mm. now moving from the house, I've been living in rented accommodation, pending moving into this new house that we've just finished. And it's just unbelievable the amount of stuff and clutter and stuff like that. I mean... You know, this this old this lady from Japan, Marie Kondo or something yeah. like that. I'm literally watching videos like how to clear No, what you need is the, is the Swedish art of death cleansing. Oh, yeah. There's a great a... book. Yeah. And death sw- cleansing. Yeah. Okay. So the Swedes all prepare for their death by getting rid of their possessions. And they just so that by the time they die, they have nothing. Yeah. Interesting. And even the challenges I've had recently, you know, the way uh, now... Um, you couldn't let a house if somebody had gone to a nursing home. So you can do that now. It hasn't really come in. I'm working with one lady. And the challenge she's having is going through her parents' possessions Mm. to rent the house. And it's taking forever. And I'm not pushing her. I just meet her and we talk about it. The last day I went in, she had her parents' wedding album on the, um, the table and we were looking through that. But it's a huge emotional attachment giving up a family home and yes. you know things that we would take for granted like there's an old looking sofa that looks awful but you know they bought it in 1970 and they had to save for it or they had to buy yeah, it in yeah. HP and it was like 500 pounds back then so you know we have to be very gentle with people and their memories yeah and uh, I think the memories is a big thing because yeah. I have my my house in Spain and my kids, I brought them down there when they were like literally one, not even a year old yet, mm. and then three and then five. And you bring your kids down there and you have all of these formative memories of them, like learning to swim and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And that's very hard to give up because it's really attached to that memory. And it's the very same. And, and so I know in my mom's case, she there's the there's the emotional side mm-hmm. of the memories. 
There is the community side of all of the people that she knows in that area. There's the convenience of she's only a short walk down from the village. Mm-hmm. But there's, then there's the logistical thing. So she's in a five bedroom house and she's trying to downsize now into what will be probably a two or three bedroom bungalow. Yeah. That's going to be like twice the amount, half the space yeah. for all of the. And she has accumulated quite a lot of junk i would say <laughs> she won't throw things away you know people if they're if they're collectors or magpies or whatever they just but there's ways around that like you can't take say it's, i've used the example before you collect teapots which are quite bulky you can't take 27 teapots with you so you decide on two and we make a photo book of the rest or you put them into a coffee table or you do something with them so they still have them yeah yeah the memories are yeah Yeah. and it's you know the memories are in here so that's what the senior move kind of teaches you all of those kind of little tactics how to move and um how to sort through the stuff basically i would imagine there is actually a market for that it's just a matter of getting yourself out there in front of you know your your brand or or people make people aware of yeah i suppose the big thing is just people aren't finding somewhere to move to so they're staying stuck and the other thing is there's a very negative narrative from the government um, because there was a study on this um, a few years ago and the way it was kind of pitched was that they were turfing people out of their five bed home to let families in we need Tur- to, the word turfing out yeah that's completely kind negative. of the way it, it came across mm. um, so we need to change the narrative and we need people to do it when they're physically able to do it but also, there's the financial side. I mean, in my mum's case, you know, it's a five-bedroom house. It's pretty uh, inefficient from a sustainability point of view, you know. So I would say her bills and all that kind of stuff and just the upkeep of an old house and, you know, repairing windows and ceilings and stuff. All of that stuff is costing her a fortune and she would much prefer to move into a smaller property. Finding it is the first thing, mm-hmm. but it's the economic reasons for and then the other you know the whole stress over the garden and letting people in i mean we don't even think about things like that because we can ring somebody and say well do you know gavin has he done your garden is he reliable and the reliability piece for older people is huge like who am i letting into my house yeah yeah so true so mary in in terms of that that's one sort of feather to your bow but you've also you're an agent and you manage properties for clients as well Yes, I do. I provide um, a letting service. Um, my area of um, interest really is construction workers who are coming in from abroad. And um, I've been doing that off and on since 2003. Right. Um, the biggest challenge at the moment is finding houses for people. Um, the construction work is there, the workers are there, but there's nowhere to house them. And that's a big challenge. Um, I also do a lot of smaller lettings. And there would be for somebody that maybe bought um, a home before they got married and they're holding on to it and they're moving into a new house or whatever. I would say a lot of my uh, clients are busy mothers who have small children and want to rent out a property that they maybe inherited or something and they just don't have the time to do it. Mm, yeah. I also do sales and I do a bit of block management. Lots and lots of different things. Yes, now, <laughs> every day is interesting. <laughs> well, you give a great talk at my event on uh, on like Airbnb and HMO and the rules and stuff like that. A lot of people who are thinking of getting into a property investment, they're interested in this idea of creating a HMO. And mm-hmm. obviously, there's a lot to be learned about that. We won't get into all of that today. But what I wanted to also ask you is your 
you you recently or not that recent at this stage but you became the chairperson of the irish property owners association the ipoa so tell us why you did that and about your role in there um well the ipoa was founded 30 years ago um this year and i was a member from i'm a member i think for about 25 years and the the meetings at the time used to be in the, there was no property training so the only property training that was out there were ipoa meetings information and i remember going to my first meeting in the guard the um club in harrington street if you remember it and uh, the house the room was just full of men i think there was maybe six or seven women out of about maybe 300 men oh my God. and I remember seeing them all at the time and they were all quite old I remember thinking, gosh, you know, how is the property market going to sustain when these guys go? And in hindsight, I now know that a lot of them were pre-63 owners and had bedsits around the city. And one of the biggest things that has impacted on the property market in Dublin has been getting rid of the bedsits. Because they were far from perfect, but they did work. So I've been a member for a long time. Uh, Then I joined the committee a few years ago. And then Stephen Faulkner, who was the founder and the chairperson uh, from the beginning. Um, he's now in his 70s, he won't mind me saying. And he was looking for somebody to succeed him. So I said I would do it for a year. So I'm now about 18 months into it and there's no sign of anybody else taking over from me. But I've enjoyed it. It's been very interesting. Met lots of interesting people, been involved in lots of interesting discussions um done lots of media some of it good some of it awful um well this is going to be one of the better experiences <laughs> <laughs> um it's a lot easier than going out to rte anyway and being <laughs> savaged um but um very challenging times for landlords well um, i was going to ask i mean i'm going to be asking you about the, your outlook on the market and things like that but before we get there um it's probably a silly question to ask the, the chairperson of it but do you recommend joining the IPOA? I do. They run a really good landlord's training course. Um, it's online. I think it's for about six weeks. And um, it's really good because they go into all the kind of nitty gritties of being a landlord. They go into the Residential Tenancies Act, how to write up a lease, okay. how to vet tenants. Um, then there's always information webinars once a month on various topics. They... Um, and it's a good source of information. The girls in the office are amazing. Um, they have all the information and experience um, to deal with any queries that come in. So you were saying earlier to hire an agent, but if you didn't hire an agent, you could actually go and do like that course. And, Absolutely, and that yeah. Would fill yeah. in a lot of the blanks. Yeah. Interesting. And I mean, you, were, you mentioned there, you referred to RTE and, and all of these kind of things that are going on. The... Um, like, tell us what your view is on the market, because, you know, I'm a property investor. I talk about property investment. You're an investor. We don't want to talk the, the market down. But at the same time, there are some things that people need to be aware of, that it is not a walk in the park at the moment, that there's a lot of problems with the market. And I mean, we all know that there's a housing crisis, but and, and it's not going to be solved anytime soon. Mm. But that does not mean that this is like this, you know, path paved with gold. You know, it's 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 a hard job becoming a, a landlord at the moment because the taxation is working against you, pretty much everything. Tell us your view and, and, and I guess some of the stuff that the talking points that you bring up when you're with the these other media. I suppose the reasons that landlords are getting into the market 
is number one, over-regulation, and the other one is over-taxation. So if you are a PAYE worker um, and you have a rental property, it's more than likely you're paying in uh, tax at around 52%. Um, so it's a pretty hefty chunk um, of tax. You also, And now that includes USC and PRSI, and they came in as a temporary measure um, a few years ago, but they've stuck. The same way as the rent pressure zones came in a few years ago, and they've stuck. So what has happened is inflation is now running at, what's it running at? Well, it was 8%, yeah, it's probably somewhere around. Yeah, um, and all costs have gone up, and then mortgage interest rates have gone up, but you can only go up with your rent at 2% yearly inside a rent pressure zone and pretty much the whole country is within a rent pressure zone yeah. there's a lot of kind of sensational stuff going on in the media and reports and you hear that rents are up again and rents are up again but rents are up on new rents new properties coming to the market um, there's a lot of landlords who are seriously under rented because they had good tenants and they held on to their tenants didn't increase the rents and then the rent pressure zones came in so you can't increase. You know, yeah, yeah, so you can only go up by 2% a year. Um, but if you haven't gone up and you're on... A, the difficulty then is if they decide to sell the property, no other investor is going to buy it because they're also stuck at the 2% on the previous rent. So even if it was a case that the market was able to reset if a property was sold... Um, but that's not the case at the moment. So that's a huge challenge. Yeah. It's very difficult to know how many landlords are getting out of the market. The RTV were set up to um, this annual registration, which is almost a year old, was supposed to capture the figures. But if you your tenant had left without having to serve a notice of termination, they're not recorded anywhere on any census. Right, right. The Department of Housing came out last week with the census figures and said there's 330,000 uh, households in the country renting. Um, which is the same as the last time. So landlords aren't leaving the market, but they're not looking at the breakdown that some of the... The split. The yeah. split might be they've gone to housing bodies or whatever. Um, so if you don't have accurate figures, it's very difficult to know. But anecdotally, I know from our, our members and from me getting calls to serve termination notices, they're quite high. There's, well, there's an increase in the number of, te of termination notices, isn't there? Yeah. What, what is that figure? Well, the RTB say 4,700 in the first few months of this year. Sherry Fitzgerald seemed to think it's around 6,000. Right. Um, they're the biggest agent in the country, so they would have a fairly good idea. But I don't know what the overall figure is. Mm. But like, if we just go back even to, to basic principles, I mean, this all boils down to supply and demand. And we, you and I, before we started recording, we were sort of saying, what do you think is going to happen? Like, and really, you know, there's, there's only so many properties in the, in the, in the market mm -hmm. and there is a, a growing population and there's also inward migration. They've got people moving into the country. You also have what would be a huge building boom if we could get accommodation for those construction workers, which you were referring to there earlier. And so we have massive demand from either the population or the migration or the construction workers that would well, that would come in if they could find a place. And then the supply. I know from reading the, the figures that were released by, I think it was the central bank or whoever, 
that there was we built 33,000 units last year uh, but we need to be producing about 60,000 to reach just a basic equilibrium and that's not to for one year that is continuously every single year 60,000 so that's about double the output of the entire Irish construction sector at the moment and we're all I mean if anyone knows we're already maxed out like uh, our site that we've just completed in Shank Hill that is delayed that's probably close to a year behind mm -hmm. and primarily because of labor shortages and stuff like that we couldn't get people in they were always you know there would be guys coming in to do a job and then be gone halfway during the day to go off to some other job and you know trying to kind of keep everyone happy and uh, and so you have a massive shortage and yet in order just to meet equilibrium we need to double the size of it so personally my view is is that it's an impossible fix it cannot be mm -hmm. fixed and therefore we're going to have a housing crisis for at least the next decade and the only thing that could really prevent it is this you know we've seen the interest rates going up and if the banks start to put of pull their mortgage rates and stuff and just say sorry we're not we're not giving you any money at all i think what they're probably going to do is just reduce you were you were talking anecdotally about one of your clients that it suddenly their bank adjusted downwards mm -hmm. their mortgage approval yeah. and they had to come up with sort of 30,000 or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of people probably facing that and that's a problem that could be, but I don't see house builders saying, okay, we'll just drop the price by 30,000 because, you know, notwithstanding the outward sort of opinion of oh, the builders are all making a fortune. The reality is, is that the cost of construction has shot up as well mm -hmm. and we also borrow money in order to build and so our construction costs and our financing costs have all gone up and so that is squeezing our profit levels so we can't go and adjust the price downwards because we've already had a big chunk of it eaten away you know yeah there's just been too many things there's been COVID. there's been the war in ukraine i don't think the government ever really saw and um, that there was going to be inward migration on the scale that it's happening. And I'm not talking about Ukrainians or um, international protection. Um, You're just talking about people. I'm just migration. talking about yeah. people coming into work um, or people coming back from abroad. They were so used to everybody emigrating. Um, and I remember, like it's 2015 since I worked at a, as a nurse, but on each ward in Beaumont, when you went up, there was a list of patients um, and their bed numbers. And what always struck me was um, you'd look at a list of 36 patients and there might be more than half of them weren't Gallagher or Conway or whatever. They like were foreign names, foreign names yeah, and yeah. the hospital was already at breaking point with our own um, Irish indigenous population yeah, without yeah. all the challenges of it and that none of this was factored into planning and that goes to hospitals, it goes yeah, to yeah. schools, it goes to housing, but as it a goes nation, right down. We, we've always struggled with the, any kind of forward planning. If you remember, this is a, a sort of unrelated, but you remember when the M50 motorway opened mm -hmm. and it was two lanes mm. and at the time they could have easily done three lanes but they were, oh, sure, we won't need that and then sure enough as soon as it's built it's like Oh, better go and build the extra third lane and it's 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 like that pretty much everywhere every every piece of infrastructure or every major kind of planning thing is always underestimated 
I trained in Baggett Street, so you know the building yes, there. I know. That closed in, closed in, well, it moved to St. James's in 1987, and parts of it were available afterwards. Um, but it was I think. A methadone clinic yeah, there was lots while, of things, little yeah. things went on in it. But that's like a prime piece of real estate in the middle sitting of Dublin. Yeah, yeah. And it's sitting there and it's rotting. And my nurse's home was the Dillon Hotel. Oh, gosh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's a very successful hotel. So, you know, that went out into private. Yes. Somebody bought it. But this is HSE and it's just sitting there and there must be a use of some sort for it. Yeah, no, it's just waste. This is yeah. the problem, you know. And then on, to add, then to make matters even worse, we've obviously got the Ukrainian crisis and the refugees piling into the country. And, you know, obviously after being through the, you know, the, the 1847 kind of famine and all that, we're very open-minded about letting refugees in and things like that. Mm. And I think that's the way it should be. But you can sense nowadays when you go out there that there is a sort of resistance starting to build to this. And it's not because we don't like refugees, but because the amount of homes that are available for us is being dramatically reduced because of these in this influx. And so it's pretty difficult to, you know, it's kind of a, a gnarly issue to try to deal with because you can kind of see both sides in a sense. Mm. Like you can't go and get a, a house if you're on a housing list but a Ukrainian refugee that's just arrived into the country will will be necessary, you know, maybe placed quicker than that, you know. So there are people starting to get cross about that. What strikes me as well is when I'm doing sales, and particularly sales from we'll say, two hundred to four hundred thousand, um, and you have a viewing, and there mightn't be one Irish person at it, mm. um, and I think it's lovely to see what I call the new Irish. They've come in here to work. They've made their homes. Uh, you know they've been renting and they now decide they want to settle down and buy a home here and live here and integrate into Irish society and again that was never factored into any figures yeah like we do a census but what do we do it for if we're not going to yeah to implement it and then you know a a funny one is I I got into a taxi and when I was you know traveling abroad for all the years every time I landed in Dublin I'd get into a taxi and it would be if it was a foreign person driving the taxi oh you know how do you find living in Ireland like when where did you come from when did you move here and it would be kind of a typical question and then recently I went on holiday when I came back I was being friendly like sort of saying you know so where are you from and he goes ah I'm from you know Darndale or whatever and I was like no but where are you originally from and he goes I was born in Darndale and I was suddenly oh my god I sound so white I sound so prejudiced like but it was an innocent question like because I assumed yeah. And it's just people are, you know, it's it's the next generation of people that have moved here from the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So in your view, the market, the direction of the market, I mean, it's it's just it's it's kind of a breaking point and it's not really it's, I don't really see an easy fix. I think that mm-hmm. landlords will continue. Property prices will continue to be under pressure because of the supply demand tension affordability is obviously an issue mm. but for the people out there who are thinking oh wow it sounds like a great market to get in you're here to basically say mm, think about it yeah think about it and see what structure uh, you buy it in and know your market and know your target market and where you're going to to pitch it to like my market was student rents around dcu and st pat's and i used to buy kind of three stroke four bed houses um, max out the rooms get them into six bedrooms or whatever and you get a group of friends and they come but 
the whole college thing has now changed. Um, a lot of them are only going to, into college maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so they're couch surfing. Um, so there's a whole le- there's just so many layers to the property market. Mm. Um, I think HMO is a, a market that will always work because there's always people coming in to work in the country that don't know anybody. And it's it's quite easy to move into a house with people you don't know because you have your own room and your own space and you know that you're going to be paying a fixed rate every month. So HMO market will always be a good one. I think mm. we probably need to look at the regulations a bit more like the UK and that will come in. So some of the guys I know are doing amazing HMOs and they're basing them on the English model. So they're f- future proofing them. Yes. I mean, there will always be a market for single family homes. Uh, but again, I suppose know your target market. And yeah, there's, there'll be challenges for times to come. Mm. I think more and more landlords will leave. So give us some of the best advice over the years that you've received. Um, it's funny because uh, you sent me this in the text and I said, what's the best advice I got? And actually the best advice I got that um, it stuck with me all my life was uh, when I was doing a management course in the College of Surgeons, a nursing management course. And it was Dennis Cusack at the time who uh, was in charge of the, um, I think he's been in charge of motor safety or road safety. He said, if something is causing you a challenge think about it don't get stressed unless it's going to make a difference in five years time mm. and we all stress over little things um but it's knowing what are the important things and to focus on those that's great advice yeah um yeah a lot of people they fuss about the stuff that's yeah you know the the, the ringing phone like the urgent stuff yeah but it's actually the stuff that's not necessarily niggling at you right now, but it's actually going to be still there. It's going to be a problem in five And I'm just always impressed by human resilience mm. in the face of challenges. As a nurse, I saw some awful things and some amazing things. I've qualified as a midwife. I've brought 50 babies into the world. Wow. But life is short and you make the most of it and um, to focus on the right things and not to lose... Um, focus on family which is more important than money because money will come and go but you can't fall out with your family well on that we uh, we shall end on that positive note mary can i just for anyone who is thinking about getting some advice or asking you to to kind of give them some help with the either the senior move or agency or anything like that how should people look for you what's the best place to find you well my company is janice estates and Janice is the Roman god of new beginnings. Very nice. So that's J A N U S. Yeah, I Estates. have a website and okay. all the senior move stuff is on the and website. I, and I know you're very active in LinkedIn, so people should look for you there if they're looking for social media and stuff like that. Thanks, Mary. It's been Thanks a great pleasure. Me. And uh, thank you for all your insights. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the join my tribe thing over on the right hand side this will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter all of these links are in the show notes below that's all for now i will see you guys in the next episode